Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. So we're, we're starting a new message series today, and, and uh, so we're going through the Old Testament book, the first book in what we call the Bible, called Genesis. And so we will spend uh, time in it. We'll take a break around Easter for a couple of different messages, but we will actually walk through the, the entire 50 chapters all the way through June time. We won't go through each chapter. We won't read all of every verse uh, in chapter during the teaching, but we will reference it and share the main ideas of scripture, which is really what we're supposed to do anyways, is to get the ideas. And so um, the importance of this, um, I think, is great during our time, because uh, when I was at the camp with the kids on a Friday night, I started getting these notices from an airline that we have reservations on for later this summer. And the first one came in, and it was our, um, our departure, uh, like while we were flying out to where we're going, uh, was changed. And so I'm like, okay, I didn't really pay much attention. And then all of a sudden, our, like our flight back was changed. And it, it's just a quick weekend thing. And so, um, you know, the changing of times and moving forward and backwards can cut into the 48 hours. And so I looked at it and it was, it was chaos. It was total chaos. I'm like, where are we going? Where are we, do-? you know, all of a sudden it went from a nonstop to now we have, it seemed like 30 stops and change planes here. And do. I was just so confused. And so I had to like sit down into it and it's middle of the night, uh, you know, and uh, the kids are telling me, turn the lights off. And, you know, I'm, I'm the one causing the problems. And, uh, and so finally I wrangled it out and, and figured it out and, and changed the flights because, uh, you know, I, even though they changed, I could change it to better ones that we like. And, um, but it was just chaos. Like I, I literally said, well, wait a minute, how's this going to work? And it went from like five hours travel time to like nine and a half. I mean, that's huge, almost double travel time. And so, so we, we brought it back. And um, the importance of studying Genesis is kind of like that. Uh, we live in a time that there's great chaos. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, everything's being changed. Uh, all the definitions are being changed. And it's just, it's a crazy time. And uh, on one hand, if you like to talk to people and have conversations, it's a great time because everybody has an opinion about everything. Um, uh, and so as we lean into to Genesis, uh, we need to hear what God communicates about the origins of us, the origins of his creation, uh, the origins about other people, and to learn about him and his intentions. So here's how you guys can get the most out of Genesis. Um, One is read the chapters that we're gonna talk about during the service, read them ahead of time. So whether you're gonna join us online or you're gonna join us here in the building, read the chapters ahead of time so that you've kind of walked in them and know where we're going. So like today we're doing chapters one and two, next week we're doing chapters three through five. And I sent out a weekly email that has those on there and, uh, and, you know, do that. Um, the next thing is look for God, like look for what God reveals about himself in, in, in the book. Um, and throughout, you're going to see a God that is personal. And then it's all about relationship. He's all about relationship, personal, personal, personal. And think about this, like you're all being formed. <clears throat> um, like you're being formed into a person. And uh, I mean, no one is neutral to that. Uh, But the question is always like, well, what am I being formed into? And it's clear that God wants to form you. Like he he wants to form you into the person that you're made to be. And so as you learn about him, let those things inform you. Um, A little bit of intro to the book of Genesis. 
Genesis comes from, uh, like the word Genesis comes from the Greek word source or origin. Uh, in the Hebrew, it, it means from in the beginning. It comes from the first Hebrew word that you see here. And so that's why it says in the beginning. Um, it's part of the first five books of the Old Testament. And so Jesus and other contemporaries would just call it the Torah. Or they'd call it the scriptures too. But these five, first five books, they'd call it Torah. And they gave it more weight than the rest of scripture. In other words, if something was kind of like gray and like, well, what about that? They would reference to the Torah and let that carry more weight than the others. Uh, you may have heard these first five books called the Pentateuch. So five, so a series of five books. And none of them can really stand alone. We're not going to teach through the other five books, but it's kind of like uh, if you have a mini series or, or a TV show and you have, different, uh, you have different episodes, Genesis is one episode and it leaves it a cliffhanger into, into um, Exodus and, and, and so on and so on. And so <clears throat> each one goes into that. Um, the authorship and date, um, and in and, and this kind of stuff, here's the thing. I lay the groundwork anytime we start a book. And some of you are like, you're nerding out right now. Like, I really don't care. But, but it, it, it's imp- it is important because um, w- we don't want to play religious games where we just talk about things and say, well, that's nice. But we also have things that actually have real facts and have happened in real life. And they bring validity to what they're saying. Because if they're real things in real life, th- then they can be true. But if they're made up, then they're not. So authorship traditionally was Moses, like that Moses, you read about Moses and Exodus and that Moses wrote uh, Genesis and and the other books as well, Um, which, which I looked at that for a long time, but there's some problems with that. Like Moses would reference a group of people that actually didn't exist for hundreds of years when he wrote it. And And there's other timeline things that I don't know if Moses could do it. Um, so if Moses wrote it, then he wrote it to the Um, the Israelite people as they went into the land, the promised land that God gave them. And he was trying to speak to them about origins and about who God really was so that they could put that in contrast to the surrounding people around them. Um, The other option is, is that it it may have been written by a writer um, while the Jewish people were in captivity in Babylon in the sixth century BC. And I think that that one possibly uh, carries more weight um, because it clears up some of the Moses issues. Uh, And if it was written to those people, that audience there, then uh, it was written to a people that they're in captivity, they're away from their land, everyone believes differently than them, they have different origin stories, and so the writer would have written to them to show them, hey, this is what God did, this is what happened in the midst of it. Um, uh, Either way, the purpose of the book is the same, Um, it's really for readers to understand God and his promise and be in relationship with him. That's the focus of the book. Um, There's really two distinct sections of the book, chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 50. Uh, Those are the two distinct chapters. The first part of it is all about creation and what God did, but then it goes bad real quick. Like um, if you have little kids and you turn your back for a minute and you leave things that they can bring chaos to, they absolutely will. um, And so that's how it is. God starts things and very quick, Human beings, you know, cause a mess. You know, the flour and the stuff to make the cake is everywhere. And so the, the question is, <clears throat> as it goes bad and gets bad and gets worse and worse, is how will God relate to people? They're really messing this up, even though God set it up right. How will God relate to people? And 
everything changes in chapter 12, which we'll see in a few weeks, and we see really how God's going to relate to people. So um, these people that we're going to read about, things go bad, and they have a need for things to be made right. And they look to that by faith, by looking towards what God would do through Jesus. They didn't have any idea of what that would look like. We have uh, the ability to look back and see what God has done in Jesus Christ. But we're saved the same way. We look to a moment in time that God did something. And so all people, there's a unity that we need God to make this thing right. And so as we dive into the, as we dive into the book, um, keep that in mind. Is this, the purpose is the same, is that God wants us to know him and um, show us our origins. So, all right. So we're going to look at chapters one and two today. Chapter one is laid out very much kind of like a structure or systems. Like an engineer loves uh, chapter one because as you see, and then God did this and this system works together this way. And then chapter two speaks of creation as well, but it's written much differently. And it's actually uh, like Michelle, while I was gone, when we go, when I go away um, or the boys go away, she likes to do a project like paint if there was a room. So she painted the boys bathroom, Um, you know, first got the hazmat suit on and, you know, cleaned and, you know, and did stuff. But, you know, uh, if you're going to be a good painter, uh, the key to painting is not necessarily the painting itself, but it's the prep. It's the, it's the painting and, and, and all the work that goes into it. So chapter one is really kind of the, the taping off everything. Chapter two is really the painting where color is added to everything. Um, uh, what you'll see is you'll see like a work week laid out. Uh, like it says that God created in six days and then rested. And uh, I'll talk about this, but like that's not necessarily meaning like we're supposed to take that and then use this as like fact that we're, to prove something. I mean, you can in some ways, there's some good theories, but I think that the writer's kind of saying like, hey, let me give you a picture of the way that God created. Just like you have a work week, God has a work week. Can you imagine creating all that is in seven days? You know, you think you had a lot to do in a week. And so that's some of the sense that's here. Um, in Genesis one, you see this 30,000 foot view and then, you know, kind of an airplane. And then at times you see like a drone kind of zoom in some, but chapter two is like uh, more like survivor or like these reality shows where the camera is up in your face and you can all, your senses come alive. It's not this, you know, far off, but the sensory things are there. And so um, they play out differently in the different books, <clears throat> but God's communicating things about himself, people, and creation. So let's, let's dive in. <clears throat> All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we first see that God creates intentionally. And really the theme of these this two chapters is just that God creates. You're like, well, big deal. That makes all the difference, is that God creates. So God creates intentionally. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the standard Jewish translation of this is when God began creating the heavens and the earth. And <clears throat> notice that it doesn't tell us like what God was doing before he created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't presume to know that uh, or speak anything that. It doesn't say that <clears throat> God actually was created and then he created everything else. It doesn't say that because if he's truly God, he didn't have a beginning, right? He's outside of it, but he's doing something that actually is creating substance and and actually functions within what we would call time. So this is not the beginning, but it's the beginning of 
all that we know. There's a whole lot out there that we, we, we don't know besides that. Um, it doesn't also try to prove God. Realize that, that the Bible doesn't set out to prove that God exists. People, I mean, you can use it for that, but it's a whole lot of effort when the primary purpose of the book is actually not to prove that he exists. The purpose of the book is, to, is for us to be in relationship with God. And so uh, Paul, who wrote uh, Romans in the New Testament, uh, he says this, he says, uh, and this is why the Bible doesn't try to, to prove things. It says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And so it's saying like, look, God expresses himself through his creation. Um, You know, I know some people will push back on this with science and different things, but it's true. And it's intelligent design, right? I mean, there's not any other thing that you would look at in all of what can be looked at that you would say, no, there's no creator of that. Right? Like the chair you're sitting on has a purpose for it. This building has a purpose for it. There's a des- if there's a design, there's a designer. And so there's absolutely a design to our world. The, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and you know, there's seasons. There's, there's design to it. It's beautiful. It's glorious. So it speaks of a creator. Uh, <clears throat> now, I was taught that Genesis was like this uh, when I was first uh, in my late teens and early 20s. And I was taught that Genesis was like this book that just proved to everybody that, that doubted uh, you know, God and doubted that he created and had other theories and things that you just take this and you just show it to him. And uh, you can do that. Um, and, and I mean, there's, there's, good, you know, there's good stuff there that, that's helpful to the conversation. But <clears throat> what if we interacted with Genesis like with what it's really trying to communicate. Because that's the problem with religious people is we, we like to take what's there and we like to find the things that like we're really passionate about or like things that we want to really grab onto. But the purpose of Genesis is, and again, not to prove God. It's not even to prove that he created. He's just saying like he did. Deal with it. And so what he's saying, what, what it's trying to communicate to us is it's trying to, it's trying to show this picture of this God that is all powerful, all knowing, and, and, and really outside of everything else and set apart, but he decided to create. And you see him over and over throughout all 66 books of the Bible from beginning to end, you see him going after people, going after people, chasing after people, loving people, forgiving people, creating. I mean, you just see this picture of this incredibly personal person that is God. And so I hold that if we go through Genesis, uh, what if we just said, well, what if I know God more because of this? Because it doesn't tell us who God is. It doesn't tell us anything about him. The original readers had some information about him, and as, as we do. But it's kind of like in a movie, just kind of somebody comes on the scene. They don't tell you all about them. But by the end of the movie, you know all about them. That's how it's going to be in Genesis. And so I, I just think that people that doubt the existence of God would see a lot more evidence if those that say they know him, 
would be about the things that he's about, which is relationship. Like in other words, if, 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 if there was a whole bunch of Christians walking around filled with the spirit of God, knowing God, being formed by God, I don't think there's quite as many questions because you can't really argue with a transformed, changed life. And so that's what we see, what God is, is focused on here. Um, you know, on the, on the trips out there, if you've driven that route kind of from here to Chicago, uh, we didn't go all the way to Chicago, but kind of drove through. And, and uh, you know, there was these signs, big signs for Chick-fil-A. And I like Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, but there's just these big red signs. It says Chick-fil-A, exit such and such, like right out in Illinois. And <clears throat> I was thinking about, I'm like, you have to know what that is. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you it doesn't tell you anything at all. Like, it doesn't tell you what it is. It doesn't, and so somebody that comes in from outer space or whatever, I'm not saying I believe in aliens, just go with me, okay? So, um, but just somebody that comes in and just says Chick-fil-A, well, what's that? And here's the exit and those things. But th- that's how this is here. It's just, it just says God. So you, you have some understanding. I, I, I never went to church in my life, and, but I, I grew up out in the country in Central California, and we had these big, you know, fields, we grow hay and different things. I just lay out there and look up at the clouds and, and I, I, just, I just knew there was a creator. And so I'd look up and be like, oh, that big flat cloud, that's God's bed, that God must, so I, I had imagination, I had these things. And so, so that's what this is saying here. Um, so God's introduced in this whole thing and the key thing is that he creates that's what's special about it, is, is that God creates. He, 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 he does something. Uh, now, there's different creation stories all throughout creation. And if, if you've read, uh, there's similar ones to this. Um, but the difference is, is that typically they were like a bunch of different gods that were collaborating together to start things. But it would also say that those gods were formed out of the same material. And then they created, like they were some material and then they did that. Or the gods were at war. And then they, they, you know, by fighting, everything was created. But if something was created, it ceases to be God. It was never God because there's something greater than it. And so that's what this story does not do. It doesn't say uh, that, you know, that there's other options. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse three in the New Testament um, actually says this. It's not up on the screen, but it says that by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And so God just creates everything out of nothing. Try it. You know, like everything we have, everything we work with, like we, we need materials. We need materials to do things, but God just created out of nothing. And so that helps us teach what faith is as well. So now we go to the first day of the week. So Sunday, which in Hebrew, they didn't have names for the days of the week. It was just like day one day two. And so this is day one. It says the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Literally in the original language, it's just more like it's light. And it just is, you know, like we flip a switch, but God just says light and there's light. Um, And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and darkness night and evening passed and morning came making 
the first day. So cue in on this is that um, everything was formless and lifeless. And, but even that was created out of nothing. And so, but it shows this picture of God's spirit is kind of just hovering. And, and there's some kind of, just think of like, it's just a thing of clay. You know, if you've ever seen a potter, you know, walk, the potters I know are just kind of just, you know, they got hair everywhere and just, you know, they're just these, you know, just grungy guys and they, they got clay behind their ears and stuff. And if you ever watch a potter approach his wheel and he just takes a piece of clay and then, and it's just, it's just this blob and they start adding stuff to it. And so it's kind of that picture. It's just the potter is there. And then he, it's just kind of hovering over in approaches. And the Hebrews would have been encouraged by this, no matter what state they were in, whether it was Moses's account or whether it's the, during, um, the Babylonian captivity, because they were in a bad spot. And they would have seen this, and, and they didn't just think God created once, but they understood that God creates constantly. And so we can be encouraged by this, by situations where we look and say, hey, my life is just like this ball of clay, just kind of like formless, like, man, I don't know what to do with this. And God, with his touch, can form it into something. So what is he, what, like, how did he do it? Well, um, he spoke, and in a little bit we'll see that he breathed and worked. So God spoke, and there was light, and it just happened. And we look at that and say, man, I have to work a lot harder to do stuff. Well, this almost looks effortless, and it is for God. God can do anything and it doesn't have to be challenging those things. I mean, God has total strength and has total authority. And he can just push through and do whatever he wants. But you see him become more and more personal as we move forward from here. So summarizing Genesis 6 through 19, uh, you, see, uh, you see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On Monday, you see God make an expanse or a dome to separate water. That's why it's just not, you know, water all the time or there's water here or there. That would explain that, right? Uh, Tuesday, uh, there was land and sea and vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees. You'll see all throughout as God creates that that, that which is created is able to reproduce itself. God doesn't have to keep pressing a button. That he sets it in motion. And it's seed-bearing, just like people can reproduce, plants and trees can reproduce. And then on Wednesday, uh, sun, moon, and stars were there. And now this is key, which sets the Hebrew people apart, is that um, the the other people worshipped the sun, and they worshipped the moon, and they worshipped the stars. But in this account, the writer just says, there's two lights. And then it says, and the stars, Uh, because very similar to like, uh, uh, you know, actually probably on steroids, like astrology, you know, where it's just like this, it's this whole system and spirituality and, and just giving over to it. And, and just, you know, I'm looking for signs from here. And it's almost like the, uh, the stars and the planets and things are the gods, you know, we look to them. And, uh, and so this is setting apart, like, no, there's no names. These things serve God. God doesn't serve these. And these things serve you. You don't serve them. You only serve God. That's the picture that we see. 
And then uh, Genesis 1, 20 through 25, you see Thursday and then Friday morning. On Thursday, there's sea life, birds and sea creatures uh, created in, in, in the, the language is beautiful because it's, like, it's just like these big sea creatures. Why did the writer include that? Well, because like you've heard stories of like Leviathan or you hear about big dinosaurs and those, it's saying like, look, just not the little things, but God created everything that was created. And then Friday morning, you see different types of animals. You see livestock uh, and then animals that move on the ground. And then day five is the first time that we see the word create used again. And it's interesting, the New Testament tells us, because we're going to bob and weave a little bit to the New Testament and then back, because it's important. Because all throughout Genesis, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the master artist. That's why when you look out here, I mean, why is a sunset or a sunrise so pleasing? Like, why does it just warm you? Wow, that's incredible. It's, it's, it's art. And so Jesus is the great artist. And in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, John, one of the first followers of Jesus, he writes this. He says, in the beginning, so what is he doing? He's telling you, just like the origin of all things, something's happening now that brings that all together. So he's pointing back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, the word already existed. Now the word is logos, and, and it means communication. So God's communication, which we know is Jesus, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. Now listen, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and he, his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So you see Jesus involved. So is this stuff being created? It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God creating all of this together. So we, we see God, um, you know, creating intentionally, right? And, and really to this point, it's not terribly personal. You see different focuses, different things, but, uh, but it's, it's definitely intentional. And, and here's the problem why some of us aren't cued in is because you're like, wait, he hasn't talked about me yet, right? Like that's the part that you love. You know, like if you go to a sports banquet and they're walking through, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get through the freshmen, get through the sophomores. I'm a junior. Talk about the juniors. Call me up. Tell me what I did. And uh, like we, uh, we have a, a banquets every year, like f- for football, our boys play football and, and you walk through each class and, and everything and go through and, and, you know, or like a graduation, like sure, you love all the other people, but get to my kid's name and, and, and your whole senses and body and everything goes to that. Well, here it is. Here you guys are in here. Verse 26, we see that God creates relationally and it says this, it says, then God said, let us make, and this is, this is like midday Friday, by the way, of the week. This is lunch Friday afternoon. Okay. Most people are like, man, I only work till lunch, but, but, but God is, is doing this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And and then it goes on to say that then God blessed them. And in all of creation, it breaks down more what he created. Um, But humans are not mentioned, you know, until the end of the week. And this is meant to stress the importance of the rest of creation. That the rest of it isn't just kind of like, that's not important. Everything else, this whole environment that we're in is important as well. 
Um, it says that we're created in God's image. And so think about this. God created all these different things, but humans he made like him. Because if God were to come to earth, he would be like one of us. That's why in the Old Testament, you actually see theophanies or Christophanies, like pre-incarnate pictures of Jesus actually walking and going around. We'll read a couple of them here in Genesis where you see God in a body doing that. That's because if God were to come to earth, he wouldn't be like a horse. He put his stuff into us that we would be like him. Yeah, because God acts and creates and moves. And, and so everything that we have, uh, you know, reflect that. Um, now, the Israelites were surrounded by people that made man-made images of their gods. And so they would have idols, like you've heard the term idols, and families would pass them on from generation to generation. And, um, and uh, we do that kind of stuff too, except for typically there are trucks or shiny things like computers and phones and all that, we, we, or homes, and you know, we, we can do that too. But for them, it was like they represented their gods. Uh, and so they, they would have these phys- physical representations and in some kingdoms would have like throughout the land, you would go to a certain place and there'd be a statue that represented that God to remind you that that God was the God over that land. And so do you see the mindset of the Israelites? They're thinking, oh, just like those created wooden things or metal things remind people of that God, we are the physical representation of the one true God. I mean, no pressure, you guys. But that's how God made it. He made it that when people look at us, they would be reminded of him. I mean, if we could really just work that into the recipe of most of our days, we probably would be living in a different world. That just, hey, here's your main vocation. Reflect God. Just like the moon reflects the sun, just reflect God and what he's like. And so, you know, some people play games with the text here in Genesis and and they try to put male before female and uh, they try to say, well, since God, man, we're going to get into man is created before female and you see like an authority and a hierarchy between men and women. There is definitely roles and men and women are different. I don't know if you know, Um, but but they're so similar too. But the, the creation story just does not, it just doesn't, if you're honest with it, it doesn't put man is ruling and reigning over woman. It just doesn't in the creation that we see here. We see some other things happen that problems are caused, but it just doesn't put this picture. It actually puts this this complementing, this joining together of equality of people. Um, You know, some people, uh, you know, like to say, well, man was created first, and so, so that's the order. Well, I mean, would you rather have a version one iPhone or an iPhone 13? The women got that one before the men. It's like, wait a minute, what are, you, what are you trying to say? Version two is better. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just like what came next. Adam even says it. He says, all right, this is it. And so, so the picture here isn't to show like an authority or hierarchy. The, if there's any authority, it's God. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan, the singer, uh, he was actually a part of the first people that called themselves Vineyard in Southern California. The first people that called, you know, in a church. And, and he wrote a song, um, uh, 
I forget exactly, Eden, uh, something Eden, but he basically says like, look, there's no kings in Eden. Like, uh, like there's not this, all these structures that we try to throw in. Just like, it was just like what the New Testament says, like no male or female, like these things like ruling over, it's just everybody's together, one. That's the picture that we see here. And so there, but there's very distinct things here as well. And so, uh, so what God ends up doing, he creates all these things on the seventh day, he rests, he Sabbaths, he calls it good, he celebrates and says, wow, look at this. And so that's the picture uh, that, that we see there. Um, but everything changes when you get to um, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Because again, we're kind of like 30,000 foot view. We're kind of watching all of this. But then verse seven, we see the potter that was over the clay, kind of over everything. We see him now, like it's zooming in on real life. And it says this, it says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed life. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So God is becoming more personal. Genesis 2 adds the name Yahweh, the name of Israel's God. And now he, you know, if you've ever worked with clay, you know, it gets in like the, you know, the, the, all the different, you know, gets under your nails and, and it stains you, right? It, it changes the color of your skin a bit. And, and it kind of gets in the, just the different crevices of your hands. And, you know, you'll get some up on your elbow. And so you think a potter just with that, that's the picture here of God is that everything else is created, created, but now it's zooming in on what he did with male and female. And he's forming and it gets to the point where he gives life to everything else, but he breathes life. And the picture here is, is that he's, he's creating something that's whole. We like to separate like, well, body, spirit, mind, you know, all these things. But he's just saying he's making them whole. And it's a picture for us because a lot of times, a lot of days, I don't feel whole. You know, like, like, you know, four in the morning on this trip and, you know, I can't sleep. I've been like, I'm still fighting the airline, you know, and I can't sleep. I mean, they, they, I'd like to say that the, the beds and camp places are different, but they're not. I'm different. I sleep different. I couldn't get comfortable and I brought the wrong thing. And I, I ripped the zipper on my, my sleeping bag and, you know, it's just a thing and I'm cold and I'm hot, these things. And, and I'm just like, man, what is wrong with me? I get like an hour and a half of sleep and I got to drive back here on Saturday and do it. I just did not feel whole whatsoever. And when you feel moments like that, it reminds you that, oh, I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be this integrated person. Body, mind, soul, spirit, just one together. That's how God created me. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that that's how God made us. And that when we're not, there's a problem. Because what Genesis does is it answers, in these couple chapters, it answers like when you have a worldview. Like, what do you believe? Everybody has a worldview. And then you make decisions in this life based upon your worldview. So uh, Christian worldview would answer the first question. It's like, well, where do we come from? Okay. What you read today is Christian worldview. Judeo-Christian worldview. You see, God, well, God created everything. Okay? Next week, we'll see the next answer to the worldview question, what went wrong? And then we'll see the next question is, well, what's the solution? 
But what you see here is you see God, he will put man within the garden uh, and he plants the garden. The garden is for people and it's lush. It's just fruit and everything you need. Uh, You hunters, there's a problem here. It doesn't talk about uh, using animals to eat. But, we, but, you know, we know that the things that are here wouldn't necessarily sustain. So there's kind of this tension like, well, you know, you don't really see eating of animals or any death until after the fall. But you just see that everything that they need within the garden is there. Um, and, but there's two trees that stand out. There's the, tree of, there's the tree of life and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it says that you can eat of every tree within the garden, but then you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil. For if you do, you will die. Okay? I mean, if you ever tell somebody something and you're, just, and you're just like, well, yeah, but what does die mean? You know? Like, well, okay, like you tell a kid, uh, you know, don't do that, or don't step on the grass, or, or don't touch that. You know, what's the first thing they do? You know, or little kids, like, don't touch each other. You know? <laughs> And so, so that's what we see here. It, 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 it's, but why, though? Because it's not like, hey, the tree of death, if you eat of it, you will die. But it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can freely eat of any tree. And so here's the interesting picture that we have is that, is that why would God do that? Why would God say, eat of any tree, but don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because the first humans were, uh, they were like children. Like everything that they know, God is teaching them and, and he's with them face to face. And so they need to learn good and evil, wouldn't you think? Another way to say it is they need wisdom. Just not to know what's right and wrong, but to know like deeper, like what's beyond things and in, in, in the substance of things. And so here's the interesting thing is that Proverbs says that the, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Not in this just like, oh, I'm scared, but like this, this awe and this respect and this, this, this doing things based upon the way that this one says. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so here's the interesting thing. God obviously wanted wisdom for the first people, but they would get it not by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because they would get that by that. But they would get it by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Get it? You get by not getting. And if you followed Jesus for very long, or if you're checking out Jesus, that will become a recurring theme. Because it's this replacement. The first people were whole because they were able to be in relationship with God. God created this tree and you get knowledge of good and evil. And so, but he says to the people, I want you to have that, but you're not going to just go get it and take it for yourself. Because does God have wisdom? Yes. See, God wanted them to get wisdom through relationship with him. It's just like in reality, like people say, well, everybody's God's children. Absolutely. God loves absolutely every single person on the face of the earth. But there's a whole lot of people not enjoying that relationship, not receiving the benefits of that relationship. And so actually the reality is everything that God has and and is created is yours. But there's a problem, which we'll see about next week, which is we would rather just go take something and get things by getting 
instead of not by getting. We want to fast track things. We just want to go get it ourselves. Hence is what we call sin. Because sin is not like doing things that are horrible. It's getting things in our own abilities, enforcing the issue ourselves. And so God brings animals to people and, and Adam's going to name them. And it says that God stands back and says, he, he waits to see what Adam is going to name the animals. You're like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't God know the future? Absolutely. But somehow God is like suspending or not looking forward into things so that he can enjoy this person. What will he do? This is so fun. But in the midst of it, he looks and he says, you know, it's not good that man's alone. Well, he's not alone. He he has God. But he says, no, I'm going to make a helper for him. And so he creates woman. And then together man and woman are formed. And they're supposed to rule over all the earth, all the livestock over all things, and you know, to, to reign in the image that he gives them. And then it ends all in this, the chapter. And I know I've gone long today, and so thank you. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. With the man, while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And the idea isn't, I mean, you know, scientifically you can try to prove this, whatever. The reality is, is that if man was like this clay, this dirt, he made him out of the dirt, it just means that God, instead of grabbing another clay of dirt, he grabbed something of the man and then created woman out of that. And he created something totally distinct, but so similar as well. And it says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. And at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And so some people are like, all right, this is a good time. You know, like just, hey, um, you know, just hanging out there. But it's an interesting, it's an awkward phrase, right? Like, you know, to think like people, you know, that that's how we're made to be. But we also don't like shame, do we? Like the carrying of shame. And it's clear that, that people after this and what we read next week create something that they have to hide not only from one another, but hide from God as well. So here's a couple things to take from this this week is recognize that God creates out of what is non-existent and formless today. So if you look at your life or you look at a situation, maybe it's not you, but you see something and you're, you're just touched by it. And you're like, this can't be anymore. I mean, maybe you're looking into KCK and you're saying, hey, um, you know, what is going on in our county, in our city, that people are killing each other and 14-year-old boys are dying? You look and you look, there's a problem. Or it could be something simpler in your neighborhood, those things. Or it can be something that you really look at your life and you say, my life is formless. Recognize that God just didn't create at one time. He's creating now. And he does the same thing. And you say, well, I don't have much to bring to it. And he says, that's easy. He creates without anything. But he doesn't force and so that's the invitation. He says, hey, I can transform any situation. Let me transform yours. 
What does he do in those situations? He breathes, he touches, he works. You know, that's what he does in your life. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in my life. The next thing is settle into being the image bearer by receiving and giving. You can't be an image bearer unless you're receiving, right? Like you can't reflect something and you can't show people someplace that, that you haven't been before. And, and so really cue in, like, because we have our pet places that we like to go. You know, if you, you're a Christian, you've been reading the Bible very long, you like to go to your pet places. And usually they're a place that you feel knowledgeable or those things. But all the growth comes when you feel totally awkward and out there and, and really just kind of like, man, that's where God wants to take you. Because, because it's not built upon your own abilities. It's, it's built upon what he wants to do in you. And so take time receiving. God, I just want to receive life and love from you. Like, give them a minute. And then, and then give that out to other people. You know, we see God as intentional, personal, involved, focused, creative, generous, happy, and he's near. As we receive from him, we can give that out to other people too. Um, and then lastly, change the target. Target. Like, what if it wasn't about getting that you got stuff? but it was about not getting. In other words, that God satisfies and meets your needs. I mean, what a way to live. Jesus actually speaks to that. He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do, all these things. You know, for your father knows all these things and the things that you ask before you even ask them. You know, he points out the, the birds of the field. And he says, you know, they don't worry about what they're going to have or these things. And you ask the question, well, yeah, but they're just functioning in the way God created them to be. Ding, 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 ding. So it is for you and I. And so there's actually a way to live that's not just about going and getting. And, and it's allowing God to do that. Walking in step with him. You know, again, we're going to see just more and more as it goes, you guys. We're going to see this incredible personal God it's all about relationship over and over again. And we're going to see too, because some people look at God, it's like, okay, that's right. That's great. That's God. But I can't talk to God or God's like, you know, uh, you know, just this kind of cruel, like enforcer, you know, or, or God's just sitting up there and ready to smash me these things. No, you, you actually see a picture of a God saying, Hey, talk to me. Hey, let's talk about this. I want you to do this, but let's talk about it too. You see that with the patriarchs and the people that they set out. You see that God's like giving them opportunities, not just to obey him and do things, but actually to discuss those things. And he loves it. Like today, if you're really upset with God, would you tell him? If you're angry with God, if you're disappointed with God, if, you know, he is sitting there saying like, tell me, yes. Because when you do that, you bring your real self. And when you bring your real self, you're able to receive the real God. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 